Hello, and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright, Constable, and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to surety claims professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Rich Pledger, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group here at Wright, Constable, and Skeen in our Richmond, Virginia office. I am joined today by my special guest, Chad Melroy, a director with Alan Gray, LLC. As always, we like to open our episodes with a big thank you to everyone for your support of Surety Today. We ask that you pass along our contact information to any colleagues who you think may be interested in calling in or checking out one of our podcasts. Remember, you can listen to any one or all of the prior 63 episodes of Surety Today at any time, anywhere, from any one of our multiple platforms. One is the Surety Today page on our website, wcslaw.com. As a podcast, you can hear it at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbeam. Just search for Surety Today and on our microsite at suretytoday.net. As always, we have muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise. We will unmute the line at the end for any questions. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to introduce uh, Chad Melroy. He is the Director of Surety and Fidelity at Allen Gray LLC. He is a certified fraud examiner and certified construction auditor. His project experience includes complex fidelity matters, accounting-related surety and claims analyses, analyses and reports in support of litigation, forensic reports, and extensive surety loss management matters. Chad has also completed various detailed analyses relative to payment bond disputes, subcontractor supplier ratifications, owner principal disputes, and delay damages. He earned his bachelor's of science degree in business administration, management, and management information services from Elon University. Over his career, Chad has worked in-house with Travelers and AIG and is a consultant with Cash and Spinelli and Ferretti and Markham LLP. We will be discussing today the surety and funds control. Now, Chad, uh, although it will be evident as we get through this presentation, could you give in a sentence or two a general description of what funds control is all about? Sure. Good morning, everybody. Um, basically, funds control is setting up a neutral bank account for the benefit of the surety to manage the receipts and disbursements of bonded contract funds and or money deposited by the surety in a claim situation. All right. When is the fund controls process initiated, typically, and what initial obstacles are there prior to setting up the accounts? Um, well, first of all, you have to – typically, there's two types of accounts that are set up, you know, one being for the claims portion of – of the surety contract and one for the underwriting portion of a bonded job. Um, always you want to be proactive instead of these accounts. Usually it takes about 24 hours to get a account number from a banking institution. However, it does take a little longer to process all the paperwork, get all the signature cards signed. So again, you want to be proactive instead of these accounts in both the, play, the underwriting and the claim situations. Um, you also want to make the contractor and all related parties feel comfortable with the process. 
you know, we always like to start out the initial discussions with the contractor, with the surety, and potentially even the agent on the phone to kind of get them comfortable with the process. You know, the timing, the turnaround time for checks and, you know, payment requests, usually we try to make that a 48-hour turnaround time for, you know, receiving the documentation and, and distributing the, the corresponding payments. You know, you want to get, be able to choose the right bank. Um, you know, where are you going to set up this funds control account? Um, you typically do not want to set up the funds control account where the contractor does its normal banking. You don't want the accounts to cross paths, you know, for any potential creditors or, or garnishments to know where the actual account is, is situated or for the banks to do a sweep, you know, thinking it is the contractor's funds uh, when it is not. Um, you know, and then you always want to talk about cost. Cost is, okay, who's going to pay for the funds control uh, services, you know, typically in an underwriting situation, the contractor is charged with, you know, the cost of, uh, you know, the outside consultant or whoever is doing the funds administration. Um, and typically on the underwriting side, usually it's more of a percentage basis of the contract. Typically today's market is, you know, a half a percent to a percent of the contract value. Um, you know, there are also times where, you know, you can do T&M with a cap. Um, at a 1% or a, you know, a 0.75%. Um, typically on the, the claim side, you know, everyone can be creative. You know, some people do on a percentage basis, but most cases in a claim situation, it's more of a T&M type uh, fee for the uh, funds administrator. So again, every funds administrating agency is different. Um, you know, there are many ways to, to go out costs on this as far as being you know, being able to cap a cost at a percentage, and you can also do a TNM combination, um, kind of like a GMP. All right. Now, funds control is one option. Is it better than any other alternatives? For example, accepting collateral up front or a bank letter of credit? I mean, typically, we, we do see on the underwriting side, when we, when we manage, uh, administer funds control, um, you know, a lot of times the underwriters will require a contractor to put initial collateral into the funds control account that cannot be touched. You know, typically, um, you know, a percentage of the contract or whatever the underwriter feels is appropriate. Um, you know, there are other situations where, you know, there is collateral, there's a line of credit. Um, yes, that, that, that is, those are good alternatives, but however, a surety does not know how these project monies are, 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 are being spent. They don't know the, the, the disbursements and where those disbursements are going. Um, you know, this, the, the idea for funds control is to protect the, the surety's uh, collateral. Um, they may have a line of credit, but the line of credit may only be a small percentage of the contract value. Also, you know, sureties can, in claim situations, do these types of, you know, funds control from their claim file, which, which is fine. However, it, it does, you know, cause a lot of work for the claim representative or their claims counsel to, you know, review all the payments review all the checks, um, you know, do the corresponding disbursements. But a lot of times we see sureties running into problems when, per se, they have to issue a payroll payment. Uh, you know, they have to issue a wire to the, the contractor's payroll account within a 24-hour uh, a tw turnaround time. A lot of sureties out there today, in order to do wires, it, it's usually a couple days um, paper process before a wire can go out. And one of the benefits of a funds control arrangement as opposed to collateral or a bank letter of credit is to preserve the um, 
contractor's liquidity, right? Absolutely. Because otherwise they can run out of cash and that's where you start getting into real problems. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and you also see the, the, you know, as contractors always do, Rob Peter to pay Paul, you know, you don't want to see, the sureties do not want to see any of their contract funds or collateral being spent on other projects and, and or unbonded projects or overhead items that, you know, are, are not the typical underwriting things, you know, like the, the excess of things, marketing and so forth. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, uh, does underbidding a project complicate the matter at all? Um, absolutely. Um, you know, in a claim situation, it's kind of understood, you know, that there's going to be a shortfall. So it's, it's, it's being proactive in the discussions with the surety and the contractor is, okay, how is this shortfall going to be funded? Um, you know, on the underwriting side, um, if there is a shortfall or an underbidding, um, you know, hopefully the communications between the funds administration, the surety and the contractor are being open. Um, and this is a, you know, you see this ahead of time. But, you know, typically in our instances when we're engaged directly by a contractor for the surety for underwriting purposes, you know, our agreements are, are, are known, the contractor is known that, you know, all shortfalls ought to be funded by the contractor. And this is why a lot of times underwriters do require some sort of collateral to be put into the account for those types of purposes. Okay. What about front-loading invoices? You know, some contractors will obviously front-load the invoices, even though not all the work or the materials have been delivered. What kind of a problem does that present? Um, it, as long as the funds are in the account, it, it's usually not an issue. Uh, again, being proactive, being keeping the lines of communication open between all parties. Um, you know, obviously in the beginning of a project, you know, there's going to be some payroll costs. There's going to be some material deposits that are needed. Um, just as long as everybody's okay and, and in the loop and understands, you know, the, the payments being requested, it's usually not an issue. Just as long as the okay. funds are available. Okay. Now, when you set up a funds control arrangement, what types of payments will the account be used for? Uh, again, typically, make sure you're being proactive, making sure communication is open with the contractor, the surety. Everyone knows what is being received and dispersed out of these accounts. You know, typically, you're going to pay your subs and suppliers. You're going to pay potentially some G&A and overhead items. You know, what, what is everyone agreement to from the beginning? You know, we like to from the beginning on an underwriting situation, if the request is for overhead and profit and, and, and types of G&A costs, you know, we like to typically, you know, come up with a percentage at the beginning of the, of the job before the funds control starts. You know, what is a good potential G&A percentage? You know, is it 5% of the cost? If those costs, if the funds are available in excess of the, the disbursements, um, you know, will payroll be paid out of this account? Again, typically, we do not like paying payroll directly to issuing, as far as issuing payments to, you know, laborers and, and, and employees. We, we, do, we would rather reimburse their contractor's payroll account or set up a link directly with their uh, outside payroll company where they can, you know, debit the account for the payroll process. Um, in those situations, we always will pay the net for the individual employees, paycheck and so forth. And then make sure that the following week, the, you know, the contractor is paying the 941s online, uh, and then we'll reimburse those costs. Um, you know, are general conditions being paid? Um, will, in, in a claim situation, will the surety request be making um, payment bond claims out of the account? Will ALE be paid out of the account? Um, you know, 
in this day and age right now, is, is there triple P money available? Will this triple P money be going into this account? Um, you know, and will it be, how will that be utilized? You know, is it, is it just to be paying payroll? Um, you know, those are all, all conversations you want to have ahead of time. Make sure everyone's aware of all the potential payments that can be requested and, and the process in which the funds controls will be available to pay these things, but making sure everyone's aware of this upfront and there's no disputes during the whole funds control process. Okay. And then when administering a funds control program, uh, what kind of accounts do you generally, what types of accounts do you generally use? Um, I, I mean, on the underwriting, uh, underwriting funds control account, I mean, you can basically use a, a typical uh, commercial checking account. You know, it's going to receive funds, it's going to disperse funds. You know, there's, it's, it's really, there's no state, other than the, the, the normal safeguards, um, you're not, it, it's just a normal checking account. It's just to isolate the funds. It, it's to take the funds away from the contractor and disperse them accordingly. Um, you know, in a claim situation, there's many varieties of accounts that can be used and utilized. Um, you know, we like to set up uh, a separate holding account or receiving account for funds coming in and then have a, a totally separate checking account to disperse the funds. So in the event that there is a, a creditor out there or a, you know, a unhappy subcontractor or supplier, um, and they get a hold of you know the check number or the account number. Um, those accounts aren't linked. Um, if they do put a, a lien or garnishment on an account, um, you know the, the funds from the contract and/or the surety are safe, non-touched. You know the contractor is not a part of that account. Um, you know there's also uh, savings and money market accounts. You know interest-bearing accounts. Um, you know do, in, in the initial setup, does the surety want this to be in a uh, an interest-bearing account? Um, we also hold collateral accounts. You know, for some sureties who, you know, on the initial underwriting side, they're taking letters of credit, they're actually taking cash. Um, you know, we do hold collateral accounts. Um, you know, and there's also zero balance accounts or, um, you know, with a lockbox. Again, it's, it's like the receiving and disbursement account. Um, however, the checking account is, is directly linked to that savings or, 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 you know, receiving account. And, you know, it's always at a zero balance and the funds are automatically uh, swept from the holding account to the disbursement or zero balance account as those checks clear. Um, you know, there are pros and cons to all different accounts. Um, you know, there's a, and there's a different situation where every account is needed. Okay. So uh, in, in setting up the accounts, what are the mechanics you got to go through to establish a funds control account? Well, typically there's going to be a, a, an agreement between the surety and the contractor. Um, especially in a, in, a, in a claim situation, you know, there's going to be a trust agreement. There's going to be a, a lot of paperwork in which the surety wants the, the contractor to sign. Um, there's also going to be an agreement between the surety and the consultant or their, their funds control provider. You know, it, it typically an engagement letter. Um, you know, the process and procedures in which the, the, the surety is, is requiring of their funds control agent. Um, you know, you're also going to discuss whose tax ID number is the account going to be set up in. You know, will it be set up in the surety? Will it be set up in the contractor's tax ID number? Or will it be set up in the consultant's tax ID number? You know, typically, um, we set up all of our accounts in our tax ID number. Um, a lot of sureties do not, will not allow uh, these funds control accounts to be set up in the surety's tax ID number because they're off-balance sheet accounts, and, you know, the auditors and the insurance regulators do not look, uh, you know, they, 
it's not a, a good look for an insurance company to have these off-balance sheet accounts. You know, if you, if you do want the tax ID and the contractor's tax ID, again, it, you're kind of limiting the, the mechanics of why a funds control account is in place because the contractor, if it's in his tax ID number, he's the sole benefit, beneficiary of that contract or that account. So typically it's better to set it up in the third party's tax ID number to keep things separate. Um, you know, in the event that there is a levy or a garnishment, you know, typically it is very easy to get a bank to release those garnishments, um, you know, because the tax ID number is not in the contractor's uh, name. You also want to, when the discussion is setting up the accounts, naming the account. Um, you know, we set up our accounts, uh, you know, for the benefit of the surety. And, you know, the contractor is listed on there just for naming purposes, but the, the, the account is set up for the benefit of the surety. It's the surety's funds. It's the surety's collateral. Um, you also want to talk about how the checks will be titled. You know, it, it is, we've had many instances out there as to, um, you know, a bank giving ownership to the contractor because, you know, their address is listed on the check. Their, um, all their information for the contractor is on the check. We typically will, will, will not put the full name of the contractor on the check. It'll be ABC Construction. We won't put Inc. or LLC. Uh, and then, you know, underneath that, we'll put like a project account. Um, you know, we won't give it the full contractor's name and we listed it as a project account. So it doesn't look suspicious to, you know, subs or vendors. We don't want to throw anybody off that, you know, the sure he's involved. Um, you also want to discuss who are the signers. Um, you know, typically all of our accounts, we require two signatures on the check. Um, if the surety is comfortable with the funds control administrator signing the checks, it's usually one signature from the funds control provider and one signature from the contractor. You want the contractor to sign it just because it gives them validation that they are approving the payment, they agree with the payment, um, or, you know, some sureties do like to have, uh, they like to sign every check. So it would be the surety and the contractor signing each check. Uh, again, the, the funds control administrator would just be uh, issuing the checks, reviewing the documentation, and then providing the checks and the documentation to the surety to sign. Um, you also want to talk about safeguards on accounts. Um, you know, we typically will put debit blocks on every one of our accounts. With technology today, people are trying to mobile deposit checks. Um, you know, they're, they're just entering in the routing number and the check, the account number to do automatic debits. Um, we put blocks on all of our accounts, um, which I would recommend any funds control or administrator do, um, just to either make sure you review those, those automatic debits or those you know, electronic deposits that, that contractors and you know, subcontractors and vendors try to do, just so you can review that. I would also recommend putting positive pay on accounts. Um, it does cost a little extra. However, it is another safeguard, especially if a contractor is cutting the checks and sending them up to the funds control or the surety to sign. Um, you know, if a contractor is holding the check stock, positive pay is a huge, good, huge safeguard to be put in place to make sure none of those checks are used for other non-approved items. Um, also, okay. signature authority levels. You know, what, who, who's approving wires? How much can they approve? Um, you know, does the surety have any regulations or authority levels that they want to put in place um, as far as making payments? Um, and on all of our accounts, there's no debit cards, no credit cards. Um, you know, you don't want anything out there that can get being able to pay for anything with a debit or credit card. You don't want a contractor to have that 
or have access to that because you want the oversight of the, the charity and the funds administrator. Um, and again, who's going to hold the checks? We cut our own checks, so we print our own checks. Um, so we, as a funds control administrator, you know, mm -hmm. provide that to our, our clients as a service. However, there's, we also have used check stock in the past. Um, you know, who holds that check stock? Does the surety want the contractor to process all the payments and send them to the approvers for approval? Just to save, it could save some money, it could save some time, um, but it's, it's, again, that's a discussion you'd be proactive on to discuss ahead of time. Okay. Now, in managing these accounts, what is needed to process payments? Um, typically, I mean, your, your funds control administrator is going to have an accounting, a check ledger software system. You know, it's going to be a QuickBooks. We use Quicken. Um, you know, it's, you can even use an Excel version. But um, you're going to need something to manage and, you know, being able to run reports uh, for the surety, for the contractor. Um, you're going to be able to need to do the reconciliations. So you're going to need some sort of accounting check ledger software. Um, there, there's many of them out there. Um, QuickBooks, Quicken are, are the, are the the known ones out there. You can also use some sort of accounting uh, software as well. Um, and then the documentation needed from the contractor or, or to make payments is your typical supporting documentation. You would look for a payment bond claim or a, you know, a payment request. You're going to want all the, the payment applications, the delivery tickets, the invoices. Um, you know, you're going to want to get a W-9 from, from some of these uh, different vendors and subcontractors. Um, you're going to want to do OFAC. Um, you know, who's going to do the OFAC? Will the consultant do it, or will you have the, the contractor do the OFAC check? Um, you know, there, there's automated processes out there now to do OFAC, but it, it is a good, um, good thing to do with, with, each, with each payment. Um, so you want to make sure the reconciliations are done um, and provided to the parties, and the accounts are being managed with a good check ledger software. Okay. And I take it in the process you you would like to, you would recommend reviewing of all change orders. Absolutely, um, you know that, that documentation is typically received with the payment applications uh, for the contract receipts. So we do review the change orders and make sure. Or if we're reviewing a subcontractor pay application, we see them getting a change order. You know, we're always asking the questions. Okay, is this relative to a owner direct change order? Um, you know, and if it's not, that rings a bell to your question before as far as, you know, in, in under um, estimating a job. You know, those are, those are starting to issue red flags. Say when you see a change order to a subcontractor for 50000 and there's no owner change order for the same amount or an equal amount too, um, you know, those are starting to get some red flags and some questions need to be answered and discussions have to be talked about as to, okay, what, was there a scope hole missed in your estimate or was this missed in the subcontract? Um, you know, should this be a cost that the subcontractor has to eat? Um, you know, those are questions that just need to be asked and, and need to be verified. Okay. Now, you have mentioned uh, briefly garnishments and levies. Um, obviously, that can be an obstacle to uh, managing a fund control account. Um, what else is out there as potential obstacles? I mean, garnishments and levies are always an issue. Um, you know, we, we've come across some, time, some, some garnishments and levies in our time. Um, you know, they have been, for the most part, um, released um, because, again, we, we do set up those, these accounts in our tax ID number. It, it's not associated with the contractor. Um, 
you know, it, 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 sometimes it's a fight legal needs to get involved, but usually, um, you know, the ownership of the account is, is key and, and these garnishments and levies are released. Um, there, are, there are other obstacles out there. You know, when setting up these accounts, a lot of contractors out there have government accounts or have government contracts where the government uses the SAM system. Um, you know, the, the, the government pays all of their contractors through the SAM system um, through, you know, ACH or, or, or wires, and it's one account for one, for one contractor. So if the surety requires funds control, um, the contractor would hopefully go in and change the account routing numbers in their SAM login to the funds control account. Um, the, the problem with this, though, is that all funds from the government to that contractor will be going to this account. Um, you know, it's not an issue. It's just a thing that needs to be discussed ahead of time. You know, is there other surety funds going in there or another co-surety fund going in there? Is there unbonded funds going in there? You know, and as long as it's discussed ahead of time, you know, those, we, we, we deal with it all the time. You know, we just cut the, uh, the contractor a check or wire them the money the next day. Um, you know, once they verified it's not for our bonded job. Um, you know, but it, those are discussions that need to be talked about because all contract proceeds will be going directly where that account is, is named. Um, you know, one thing you could do, and we've seen issues with contractors in the past, is they go in, provide the surety with the confirmation, they change the account number, um, you know, but they go in the next week and change the account number back to their original operating account. You know, there are some ways to safeguard that. Um, you could ask the contractor to provide you with their login credentials and go in there and change the password on them so they can't access it. Um, and let them know that you're doing this, but it's just another safeguard in place to make sure those funds aren't rerouted to another account. Um, the DOT, any, a lot of the DOTs today, again, they don't like issuing multiple payments to multiple locations. So if they have an electronic payment set up with a contractor, if you change that account number, all of the payments for the DOT contracts for that contractor will be coming to this one account. Um, again, it's not really an issue. It's just a matter of communication and making sure those funds that aren't supposed to be in the account get dispersed where they need to go. Have you encountered any problems with anti-assignment clauses? Um, not necessarily. I mean, again, it's, it's all about the, the account naming and ownership of the account, the agreements in place. Um, haven't had too many issues with that. Okay, okay. Now, um, Funds control can be done by consultants, as you've indicated. It can be done by sureties in-house. It can also be done by the principal's lenders. Um, yeah. But that presents a problem, does it not, if the lender has a, an ongoing line of credit and a, an agreement up front to sweep accounts? Absolutely. Um, and, and this is why we don't like to open these accounts in the same institution where the contractor holds a line of credit or holds you know, their operating account. Because um, even though... In every surety case out there, the, you know, the, the surety has the number one first priority rights to these contract funds. Banks think they have every single receivable the contractor owns. Um, you know, some banks don't understand that, that they're bonded and non-bonded contract receipts. So typically, yes, if, if, a, if a lender does the funds control, they have an overall you know, collateral agreement with the, with the contractor, and they're going to sweep those funds. Um, they do this in instances where they know that there's bonded funds in there, and they do it anyway, um, just because it gives them negotiation with the, with the sureties, they give them, it gives them a priority in negotiation. When they're already holding the funds, 
it gives them a a better negotiation tool when when dealing with the sureties. Even though the sureties eventually will win, hopefully, um, because those those funds are bonded, but it's going to cost a lot of money to do sources and uses of cash and make sure those funds were specifically bonded contract funds. When you get involved with uh, setting up um, funds control accounts, do you uh, get involved in conversations with the lenders and uh, establish up front and in writing uh, the rights of the surety? Um, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are situations where we're involved. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, the, the, the sureties and their attorneys. Um, but we, we are involved in a way of providing counter information and, you know, if they need sources and uses and um, you know, documentation relative to what funds are received. Um, again, this is another reason why a good accounting system, a good check ledging ledger system is always great to have for these instances to be able to push a button and have reports readily available. Okay. Well, Chad, do you have any other thoughts? We're approaching uh, the half hour uh, time limit, but do you have any other thoughts on, uh, on this topic? No, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's the surety is a, is a, is a unique, a unique business. Um, and every situation is different. Um, again, just make sure everyone's being proactive. Uh, conversations are having up front. Um, and everyone is transparent and open. And if you are, this process goes very smoothly. It's a great tool for the sureties to use for protecting their collateral. And actually, a lot of contractors at the end of the day enjoy this process because it gives their owners or their obligees comfort um, that these funds are being used in accordance to the contract and only going towards you know, their, their specific contract. And hopefully it keeps them away from the factoring aspect of, uh, <laughs> of funds management. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think we, we, we've talked about this off, offline, but, you know, factoring companies are out there. Um, you know, it, it's a way for contractors to get money quickly. Um, however, they're losing, you know, 10% of their, of their contract value. So, you know, Typically, we always get involved with a contractor after they've already started using a factoring company, and it's, we wish they would have just called the surety or, or called upon uh, you know, their underwriters ahead of time or their brokers ahead of time just to talk out these situations um, before something agreement is signed or um, you know, anything is, is taking away from contract proceeds where it could be going towards the, the material and labor um, provided on that contract. Okay. Chad, I appreciate your input today. Um, before I open up the line for any questions, I wanted to let everyone know that the next edition of Surety Today will be on Monday, November 8, 2021, at 1230 Eastern Standard Time. Also, the Philadelphia Surety Claims Association held its first in-person lunch meeting since the pandemic started on September 22, and its next meeting will be November 17. Also, in just a few days, on October 13 through 15, National Bond Claims will be holding its annual meeting in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Unfortunately, I can't attend this year. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we look forward to speaking with you again next month. Now I will unmute the line for any questions you may have. Chad, hi. Um, this is Thea at Travelers. Hope you're doing well. Um, I think, hi, I think you touched on the subject, but um, there's a little bit of a twist if you're dealing with a federal project and, and funds that are paid from the federal 
a little bit? Uh, I'm sorry, Thea, I think you were breaking up a little bit. Can you just repeat that? Yeah, when you're dealing with a federal project and the funds to be put in funds control or that you wish to put in funds control are federal funds, there's a, you know, there, there's some additional steps, I believe. Is that correct? Um, typically, yes, but uh, again, we're not, we're just allocating the funds to a different account. You know, it's, it's, it's again, it's still the, con the, the, the contractor usually is still the contractor of record. Um, you know, we're not changing any of the contract or, or their contract with the government. Um, you know, so it's, it's typically just behind the scenes. Um, and it's just, ideally, it's just them changing the, their SAMS account routing number um, to the right. funds control account. Right. So we do, we do try to stay behind the scenes and, and not get involved with the government contracts. Again, the contractor of record is still the contractor of record. Um, and, and, you know, they may not even know this. Uh, funds control process in place. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, if there are no other questions, I want to thank you again for joining us, and I hope you all have a good day. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable, and Skeen website at wcslaw.com backslash surety-today.